Hope you enjoy this repeat episode. We are on vacation, so we will see you next week. Hope everyone is having a happy 4th of July weekend. Yeah. I'm going to have sex for America. That's what I'm going to do, Doc. What do you think? Uh, All right, man. (laughs) I think I said this last year, too. I think I said something about that last year, but I like it, and I'm going to stick to it. That's my 4th of July thing. Yeah, more than anything, you like to reuse a joke, so... (gasps) Damn! <laughs> Hot burn! Happy Fourth! Hot burn! Happy Fourth! That one burned like some fireworks on the Fourth of July! <laughs> Have a great vacation, everybody out there, to our millions of fans, and you as well, Doc. Have a great, great Fourth of July, and we'll talk to you all again next week. Bye, Doc! Bye! Clinical Disclaimer This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure, where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. And you should appreciate that I'm wearing a shirt today because we have a very special (laughs) guest. And even though it's very hot in my studio, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. We have we have company, so yes. I appreciate. Yes, that I get you dressed for company. Clothed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the University of Pleasure, folks. Very excited. We have a guest with us today. As we're saying in the intro, I chose to wear clothes for this episode specifically because, you know, it's just a little bit, you know, what would you say, Doc? It's not that it's disrespectful, like if I was just jamming right now and like was totally shirtless, but, you know, it's like, you know, if somebody's coming to visit you for dinner, you should probably wear a shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like in most professional endeavors, you should probably wear a shirt. 100%, because I'm 100% professional. We're 100% professional here at the University of Pleasure, and I like to do nothing <laughs> more than show my professionalism to the world. You're you're really you're really allowing our guests to feel very like relieved and uh, soothed the more we talk about how professional we are. <laughs> well, we hope everybody out there listening, all of our millions of fans, are healthy and happy and getting their jabs so they can get out into the world. And like we always say, hopefully we'll be able to see you all soon in person. Although we were talking offline before we started today about how we can stop and start and we're doing interviews. You can't do that when we're doing a live show, Doc. You know, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be uh, ready for like being on your toes for the Jeremiah James excitement, for the, the, the curveballs I'll be able to throw at you when we're live in front of a live, live studio audience? Yes, I'm, I'm so ready. So ready. I don't really feel you. the excitement, but uh, that's okay. I'll so, get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. Before we continue forward, I would just like to say 
that we have a couple of announcements. As per always, the Amy book is on its way. Dates are coming. Announcements will be made. So be prepared for that, for the University of Pleasure. I like, I, I like that you make announcements for an announcement. It's <laughs> just this ongoing process. Doc, as we've said, professionalism, professionalism. Don't interrupt when I'm trying to give an announcement about an announcement. Now I've lost my train of thought, and I don't even know what I'm going to be. What was I saying? I think you were going to introduce our guest. I okay, think fine. I know that's not what it was, but I'm going to do that just the same. I'm actually very excited about this for many, many reasons that we have a very special guest with us today who is going to talk about men's physical sexual health. There are a lot of things. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm an expert, but I'm pretty close. But this guy is like the top tier expert. And I'm really excited genuinely without making any jokes to learn because even prepping for the episode, the doc was talking about things like he talks a lot about this and talks a lot about that. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what he's talking. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what that part of the anatomy is. So I am really excited for all of uh, the folks out there with penises because today is about you <laughs> and me. So let's jump in. Please, everybody give a warm welcome to licensed clinical psychologist and lead sexual health psychologist, Dr. Leo. Now, Dr. Leo has a full last name that I will absolutely butcher, and he has been gracious enough to not uh, put me through that and um, say his name horribly wrong. So, hello, Dr. Leo. Why don't you give us your whole name, Dr. Leo? Well, th thank you for having me today. Um, uh, <laughs> so many thoughts right now. Uh, <laughs> so many thoughts. So my full name is Dr. Leonardo Candelario Perez. Uh, most people know me as Dr. Leo. Um, I should make a disclaimer that I am from Guaynabo, Puerto Rico, and that's why I have two official last names, like most other fellow Puerto Ricans. Um, Amazing. A lot of people don't know that. I <laughs> did not know that, and that is, see, this is the, I'm already learning, and I'm loving it. So... First thing I've learned. So is that so? That's a thing in Puerto Rico that they usually you usually would have two last names. Yeah, everyone, everyone's social security number is attached to your double last name. So first it's your father's last name and then your mother's, and everyone knows you by both last names. That's fascinating. That's, I that's love that. Progressive, you know, you include women in the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you don't have to have like those intense dialogues around whose name somebody gets. Yeah, it's just always. Yep. Listen, I was totally going to take my wife's name. Uh, but there was a bit of a hiccup, but not because she wasn't down and not because I wasn't down. And, and I was just good. I would have taken the full name. I just want to be very clear because I'm that way. Okay, Dr. Leo. And I was totally open, but she literally was like, I don't know that that'll work. And I was like, why? And she's like, well, when you were growing up, you're Jeremiah, but you were short for Jeremy. Like that was what people called you growing up. I was like, yeah. She goes, that's my brother's name. So you then would be Jeremy Nelson. And I was like, oh, yeah, that might be weird. That might be a little <laughs> strange. So we didn't go that route. She kept her name. I kept my name. And uh, every once in a while, we tease each other about, you know, if I'm in a lot of trouble, she'll call me Jeremy Nelson. Let's put it that way. Okay. But by the way, I can say all these things very openly, Dr. Leo, because she's not going to be able to listen to this episode 
because the more episodes that she's listened to that had anything to do with prostate play, I've been getting a lot of weird Amazon updates and I'm genuinely like, okay, okay, I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm working my way into it. Right, Doc? Yeah, I think that this is going to be some really good education for Jeremiah because he has a lot of prostate fears, uh, trepidation, uh, and maybe I think some of that might come from a lack of understanding or knowledge. That so, very well could be. Very well could yeah. be. Just so okay. I want you to know, Dr. Leo, I'm open. I'm ready to receive, as the other all of our millions of fans with penises are ready to receive information. So I think we should just like dive into the deep end of the pool here. And let's start, what do you think, with like the basics of like male anatomy, and then let's spin it out from there. What do you think? What do you think, Doc? Well, I mean, I think, <laughs> Leo, <laughs> would that be a good place? <laughs> so, um, yes, 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 would that be a, well, actually, if it's okay, Jeremiah, I, there's a different kind of starter question before we jump into that. Like, I would love to hear, you know, so I know Dr. Leo very well, right? Um, amazing clinician, does amazing work with people, can't say enough wonderful things about the work that Leo does. But it, I'm really curious what some of the kind of top concerns are that you see and actually maybe talking a little bit about what you do and like the clinic that you work at and kind of what your role is there. Sure. Um, so I have a very odd job as a psychologist. Um, I'm actually I work for a major hospital system here in Minnesota. Um, like by major, I mean, major hospital system. Um, but I actually work I don't work for the mental health department. I actually work for the urology department. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, so in 2018, I was invited to join the urology clinic and essentially start up what nowadays we call the Multidisciplinary Integrated Sexual and Gender Health Program. Does it have an acronym? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't flow very well. I need to think about a better one. <laughs> um it's very descriptive, though. It really describes everything that's happening. Right, there. right. One hundred percent. If you if you are unclear about what I do, then I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, long story short, so um, back for for a while, this hospital system they they you know they said to themselves, well, urology technically sees both men and women, and urologists can prescribe medications or do medical procedures like surgeries, which would fall under the umbrella of sexual health right, or sexual medicine. Um, so what they were missing within that department was someone who could address the psychosocial aspects of sexuality that they as physicians just aren't trained to do. And that's where I was hired. Um, um, but yeah, so basically what we do is when people from the entire system, right, so this is a multidisciplinary system with family medicine, with neurology, you know, gynecology, whatever department, Whenever a patient comes in at any point in the system, the referring provider identifies the sexual health concern and then refers to us to explore that further. Depending on whether the patient initially made a physical health complaint or more of a behavioral interpersonal complaint, they either get referred to one of the urologists or myself initially. Um, so as far as what I see, I see uh, people of all genders. Um, the predominant common things that we see for people with penises, um, and I'm going to try to use as inclusive language as possible, but sometimes I won't, um, 
for people with penises, we're looking at psychogenic ED. And uh, I, if I use words that are too clinical. Yeah. Can you please, this is, I love this as the psychology nerd. I'm like, yes, let's, can you say more about what you mean by psychogenic? So anything that's labeled as psychogenic means having an origin in the psyche, right? So genic, it comes from genesis, which is origin, and then psycho from psychology. Um, so there are actually many health conditions, not just sexual, that are actually psychogenic in nature. For example, there's an entire field of medicine that's dedicated to pain management that has a huge psychogenic component because pain mm -hmm. is a very psychological process. Um, so when we talk about psychogenic erectile dysfunction, it's an erectile dysfunction that we've determined through a series of assessments and questions that is originated in some kind of aspect of psychology. And the same thing can be applied to psychogenic um, premature ejaculation. Uh, the same thing can be uh, identified with people with vulvas, for example, psychogenic vulvodynia, psychogenic dyspareunia. Um, those are kind of the, the main... Yeah. And can I, can I clarify something just about what you're saying? Just because I do a lot of work with like vulvodynia and vaginismus and sexual pain, right? And so one of the things too is like when I think sometimes when people, and I don't, maybe this has been your experience too, when people think about like um, that idea of like things having like maybe some psychological roots or psychological interplays, like often one of the things that I find myself having to explain to the clients that I see is that like, that's a complex interplay, right? Just because you're saying that something has like a psychological component doesn't mean that it's maybe this more like older school model, like it's just all in your head, right? right. Like there's something wrong with you that you're thinking wrong about it. And that's why this is happening. That it's really right. a complex interplay between your body and your mind. Which yeah, I don't know. Actually I actually go as far as, and I don't know if this is a real clinical term, but it helps people understand it. Um, I describe it as a psychoneurological issue. Mm -hmm. So whenever I break down the process of anxiety, the fight or flight response, and then also the you know sympathetic versus the parasympathetic nervous system and how that functions with, with sexual arousal, then people are able to say, oh, it's not just I'm sad about this, or it's not just I have shame about this. It's my body's responding to a very real psychological issue in a physical manifestation. Okay, so if I may, for the, uh, you know, uh, non-clinical people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is why, yeah, we could go all day, Leo. Yeah. Okay, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm on board. I just wanna, you know. Uh, Please do. Make sure I'm clear. So we're talking about like, uh, it, say you go to the urologist, he checks you out. If you're somebody with a penis and you're having an erectile dysfunction issue, right? And mm -hmm. you've gone through all the, you've done the test, you've 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 written down all the you know bullet points, and you talk to the doctor, and he goes, physically, you're rocking and rolling, nothing wrong, right? But I'm still having erectile dysfunction. So what is that? And that's where we would talk to Dr. Leo because then clearly it is, I'm, I'm just going to use layman's term, so I apologize. It's like a mental hurdle. There's something there that, you know, whoever this is we're talking about is struggling with something psychological or, or am, I, am I close? Am I right? Mm-hmm. I mean, anxiety is a psych, right? Anxiety is a psychological go. function. Okay. Just want to make right? sure I was clear. Right. Okay. It has its roots in, in the brain, right? It's a very real neurological function, but it, it is psychological, right? We don't just become anxious out of nowhere unless you have like a raging anxiety disorder. But um, usually there's a root cause in the environment, in the context that's causing that anxiety to flare up, which then causes your central nervous system to act in a certain way, which can lead to a dysfunction. 
Got it. So this is like the movie uh, Waiting with Ryan Reynolds, right? Where the guy was really struggling. <laughs> what? I have not seen this movie. I have. Yeah. So sure. there's this guy in this movie, right? And he really struggles to pee in public places. He just, he can't do it, right? And he's like, it's like his biggest thing. He's like a big, like an underlining plot point of part of the film. And then like, you know, somebody starts talking to him about it. It's like the guy's like the wise, like, you know, dishwasher guy. <laughs> he's like, you know, you got to imagine that people are cheering you on and, you know, that it's good. And they go through this whole thing. But then in the end, he gets to pee, right? Because he overcame the thing. Now, listen, I want to make very clear I'm not saying that this is of the level of things that you deal with. I, I'm not trying to, in any way, make it seem like uh, to. Uh... No, no, no. I mean that is actually a very real, real thing. You see it all the <laughs> time, and it is psychogenic in nature. But right now, for example, I would tell, I would ask you, do you know what that has to do with your pelvic floor? Pelvic. Uh... What is? Should we start with what? <laughs> should we start with anatomy? <laughs> yeah. So that is what a great segue, Leo. You did that so beautifully. I thought so. <laughs> did you see the? Did you see the blank thing that came over my face? That it was just like. Well, buh, when buh. we were when we were going to start, Jeremiah, I was going to ask you how tense is your pelvic floor right now. I am. <laughs> I don't. Know, I. You know, I regular. I regularly wonder that about Jeremiah. <laughs> You, you, you're like, oh, oh, God, oh, oh, this is. This is <laughs> That's going to be my I new thing. Jeremiah, your pelvic floor seems super tense right now. We need to <laughs> take a break. I, I, I have no idea, and uh, I did not know that I had a pelvic floor. Now, I, I have heard that women have pelvic floors, the, the rumor mill, you know, that they can do exercises and stuff like that. Um, you can do them, too. What? So maybe we should talk about what the pelvic floor is. Yes. 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 Okay. So let's start. Um, so everyone, ha I, I'm going to do visuals here, even though no one can see it. So I'm going to try to do as much as just verbal description as possible. So everyone has a pelvis. Both men and women have a pelvis, right? And the human pelvis essentially looks like a basket made of bones. Do you look at it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like scooped. What a, I don't know. For some reason, that's just like the sexiest word. <laughs> like in phraseology, a basket of bones. <laughs> Wait till you hear the next the next part of this explanation. Got it. I won't. I do this for a living at least five times a week. <laughs> so imagine that basket of bones is the framework of a basket, right? And all the wicker that unites it are different muscle groups. Okay. So, I'm totally on board with this. I like wicker. You guys, imagine like something like this. Okay. The pelvic floor is extremely important both for for all humans because it, it essentially its main function is it holds all our internal organs upward. Without an appropriate pelvic floor, you can have anal prolapses, vaginal prolapses. Um, you know, all kinds of bad things can happen. Lots so, of things can just. Clearly, they're bad. I just, I have no idea what any of those things were, but oh, I was terrified uh, just by you saying. there's a prolapse from a medical explanation, it means the falling out of. So, for example, an anal okay, prolapse. One second. I wish we were videotaping Jeremiah's face right now at the idea of falling out of. <laughs> I was, I've, so, I've, I've, I don't know. I've, it's not often, folks, that I am uh, pretty speechless, but I'm, I'm a little speechless, and I'm, I'm excited to continue to learn because I don't want nothing falling out of anywhere. So I'm not, I'm not really going to go into the prolapses world because that's not as like relevant, not relevant, as common of an issue for you know men or people with penises. But um, you want to have a nice 
balanced pelvic floor that's not too tight or too loose so that everything is held in appropriately. It's like any other muscle group, right? If you have okay. an underdeveloped muscle, it's going to be weak and your, your limb is not going to be able to do what it needs to do. But if you have too much of an overworked muscle, it might become tight, it might become immobile, or you might even break, right? You can have a, a stretched muscle that can be painful. So the pelvic floor that we all have, I just want to make sure we all know this, we all have a pelvic floor, is like a muscle group like any other that can be either overworked or underworked, okay? Okay, so how would I, how do I know how tense my pelvic floor is? And and we're on like the scale of, like, you know, is there a, is there a scale? Well, and that, that's that's very hard to, to measure unless you go to a pelvic floor physical therapist, which most men don't know is a whole field of physical therapy. Um, and they actually have, women actually go to pelvic floor PT all the time um, and they get measured uh, to see how tight it is. One of the ways to start creating mindfulness around your pelvic floor without going to a pelvic floor PT, it's starting to kind of check in with yourself about how clenched your ass is. Oh, okay. If your asshole is clenched, your pelvic floor is tightened. And if you're finding yourself, if you check in five times out of the day and you're saying, damn, I've been clenched all five times, the likelihood is that you have an overly worked pelvic floor or a tight pelvic floor. Okay. Now, again, this is just because I, I have literally less than zero understanding of any of this. Uh, so if, if, if I have a loose... What, Are you, what I would love be... that you're trying not to say, like, what would happen with my asshole if my pelvic floor was loose? Like, really? Let me be very, very clear. The anal sphincters are very, very powerful muscles. So to get an anal prolapse, I mean, you have to be doing some serious ass play or have some serious history of chronic constipation and pushing for that to happen. Or, or some, like, lower spinal cord injury that would somehow affect your ability to clench naturally. Okay. Thank you very much. That is now my exit strategy when my wife tries to be like, oh, it's my lower back problems, honey. I wish I could do that prostate play, but I've had a lower back injury and a, the Dr. Leo told me that you I, you, you know, it could be a thing. You don't want an overly tightened pelvic floor because just like it holds the rectum inward, the front hole that we all have through which our penises go through can be noosed up if you have too tight of a pelvic floor. Noosed up? Yeah. So imagine like a noose. So if the pelvic floor is that has a <laughs> hole in it and your penis goes through it, too tight of a pelvic floor will squeeze the shaft of the penis. And that can cause ED. Mm. All right. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Now we're on to something here. So... <laughs> For me, <laughs> obviously, you've been onto something for many, many years. That's why you're Dr. Leo, who talks about these things. But now I'm like, oh, okay. So let's talk about that. So, so we wanna we wanna ha work on relaxation of that muscle to help fight against problems with ED. Is that something that I mean, we could tell our fans out there? As a general rule of thumb, you want to have a baseline pelvic floor, so neither too loose nor too tight. Like if you're so loose that you're farting all over the place or you're, if you're like crapping yourself, that might be too relaxed, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're it, kind of 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Oh, I'm so sorry. Leo, is it, could you speak, is it more common for people to have too tight over too loose? That yeah. would be my guess, right? Yeah. That would, that's my understanding of the yeah. medicine. It's much uh, less common because that's like people, like I would assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the reason, like people probably don't notice when it's too tight, but obviously because of the symptoms, you're definitely going to notice when it's too loose, right? Like you're definitely probably going to seek medical care more soon when that's going on, when you have those kind of symptoms. But I would imagine the symptoms that sometimes are associated with that tightness are things that people maybe miss or they become more chronic over time without medical intervention. Because In my experience, most people that come in for sexual dysfunction issues have a tight pelvic floor. And one of my theories or hypotheses for this is that unlike any other muscle group, no one can see your pelvic floor. So if you have an underlying anxiety issue, whether you're aware of it or not, you can tighten the hell out of your pelvic floor and no one's going to know. Whereas, for example, if you're crouching your shoulders every single day and your shoulders are touching your ears because you're so anxious and stressed out, someone eventually is going to be like, you need to bring those down, right? Someone's going to make you aware of how stressed and anxious you are. Or you can see someone or someone rubs your shoulder and it's like, you have a lot of tightness yeah. here. You have a lot of knots right, right here, right. Right. right? It's a more obvious type of tension, right. I would imagine. Or, or also, I mean, an overworked muscle group because of anxiety will also present itself as pain eventually, mm-hmm. which people then go and seek medical help more readily. Right. But- well- Oh, I'm so sorry. What would be the more common issues medically that you see coming up in the office, you know, in the offices that you're in around these pelvic floor issues? Like how do you, in terms of like sexual functioning, how do you see them manifesting more with the pelvic floor issues? Specifically with men? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's a lot of what I call preemptive anxiety. So they, they fall because no one has ever told a man in the United States that it's completely normal to lose your erection at some point in your life. A lot of men will have an an erectile dysfunction moment and then crisis will ensue. Then we're stuck in an anxiety cycle and God knows how long it's been from that moment until they get to my chair or they get to my, one of my colleagues chairs. And then we have, you know, a year, two years of a constant repetitive cycle that involves clenching the, the, the pelvic floor around the penis. Wow. Mm-hmm. And anytime, and think about it from a central nervous perspective, right? When we're anxious and we're activated into the fight or flight response, our uh, sympathetic nervous system gets activated. And part of the things that happen when we're getting ready to run away or fight something is that our pelvic floor clenches because if we're crapping ourselves or peeing ourselves as we run away or fight something, that's not going to be good for us. So mm-hmm. our body's way of preparing for battle, essentially, is to shut down sexual functioning because it right. needs to shut down that entire system in your pelvis. Right. And, you know, it's really interesting. It's like, so this is, you know, I have talked probably more on here around just because I do a lot of work of like with sexual pain for people with like vulvas and vaginas where it sort of manifests right in this very similar way, right, where that pain is often around this like anticipatory tension and tightening that happens in the body, which is very reflexive. Right. We've talked on this show before about like a lot of times people feel a lot of shame about that. But the reality is, is like your body's just trying to protect itself. It's just doing what it was built to do. That's what I kind of meant earlier around, like, just because there's a psychological link with what's happening doesn't mean that you're like doing something wrong or you're like pathological in some deep, deep way. It just means 
you're having or, this conflict. Or that there's nothing physically going on, right? I think right. That that's, that's the part that I really try to drive home. No, this is literally your central nervous system manifesting itself in you physiologically. Mm -hmm. This isn't you're crazy. This isn't like there's something mad about you, right? This is literally the connection between your mind and your body. And that's why I tell all my patients, you know, sex is one of those intrinsically mind-body experiences for most human beings. Without, if there's a disbalance in either side of that, there's going to be dysfunction. Right. And, and part of the work with sexual health is, you know, making sure that we're integrating both of those sides so that the person can move forward and, and address the issue that's coming up. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is amazing, I, you know, because so many people, you know, when I was growing up, man, I used to hear things like, somebody's really stressed out and uh, uh, they would, you know, like I, I had a buddy who actually had a, uh, uh, a panic attack, right? And a panic attack, you know, trying to understand it when I was younger because it scared me. I was, I, was, I was a teenager, you know, and he just like all of a sudden stopped talking and started to shake and then he kind of fell down and I, I was really scared because I thought, you know, you know, I was 15 years old, I'm thinking he's having a stroke. Like, you know, I, you, you only know like the big things, right? And so many people that are still afraid of, of, of talking to someone like yourself, you know, your body, like when he had that panic attack, it was because he was so stressed out. He was so anxiety ridden that it physically manifested into his body going, we're shutting all systems down. Like you, we can't go on anymore. You kind of got to shut it down. Kind of, is, is basically how it was explained to me in layman's terms, right? And now hearing you talk about this is really quite beautiful to hear that, you know, if you, you're running into, because I, I ran into, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. And one time, one of the times that I ran into an erectile dysfunction situation, I was very, very tired and I was opening show at the time and I was supposed to be doing this really fun, sexy thing with my partner and this other couple and all this other stuff. And I ran into a problem where I, I couldn't get an erection. That had never happened to me. I was 29 years old. I mean, in, in rock star shape, best shape of my life, you know, going to the gym all the time. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden I couldn't. And then just like you were describing, I got into this like panic cycle, like, and then it became intermittent. Like I would get an erection with my partner, but then it would go away. And then I would get an erection with the other person's partner and then it would go away. And it just was like, and I had no control. And then I, I felt like in this loop for like a week, this panic of like, I'm out of, I can't control it. And I felt kind of like I was spiraling. So it totally makes sense what you're saying, you know, that, you know, it, it, it mind-body experience with sex and that, you know, if you're feeling like caught in that loop and, and then it's gone on, dear God, you know, and hearing these, you say like somebody that that's been happening for like a year and they come and sit because there is shame that goes along with that. There is so much, you feel so embarrassed, you feel so shameful. And we've talked about it here on the podcast before, you know, there are so many other things like the doc's like, you got an elbow, you got to, you know, <laughs> you can do this all kinds of crazy stuff you can still do, you know, but you know, for uh, 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 as a as a cisgender man, it was something that I had run into that it, it caused me a lot of shame and embarrassment in that moment, and it lasted, it lingered. I was very lucky to kind of get past it. So, I just want to <laughs> say thank you, Doctor Leo, for explaining and, and, and that. I, I I want I want to say that there's a there's something also that happens, and I don't I don't know, Tara, shut me down if this is outside of the scope of this, but. One of the major issues that we face right now, and the reason why men go years with having this, and mind you, I'm not talking about 35-year-olds or 40-year-olds. I'm talking about 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 
mm-hmm. that this started it. Well, and I, and I also wow. was thinking when you said like a year or two, I'm like, I've had clients where it's been 10 years, 15 oh, yeah. years. Yeah. 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 So, so I'll oh. let you keep going. <laughs> One of the biggest problems that we're seeing now is that men's sexual health has been so medicalized since Viagra came out that there is no narrative in our culture or our society that allows men to understand that their bodies are linked to their emotions or to their psychological well-being. So they immediately go, fuck, this is happening. Oh, can I curse on this thing? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. A hundred percent. Not too late. Uh, <laughs> they, they freak out. And the first thing that they know, because it's the only thing out there, is, oh, there must be something medically, physically wrong with me. And, you know, Pfizer is a very powerful company. Sure. <laughs> Watch so, out. We're yes, going to get, yes. get threats, Leo. You get <laughs> <laughs> by the way pfizer if you'd like us to uh advertise for you no and, i uh, would draw the line. dick pills i'm totally we're totally nope is that so, a no so, i mean these pharmaceutical companies are very powerful and they have they have lobbied for these medications they're specifically called pde5s the entire class of medications for for erectile dysfunction um and they're pretty easy to make also too which a lot of people don't know yet, they are not covered by health insurance or they're making a premium off of them. So then these doctors, thinking that they're either doing well or really not caring because a lot of physicians don't care about sexual health, um, they just shelled out these medications. But what they never tell these young men is that if your anxiety is too high, it can override the effects of these medications. So then we have a wow. We have a I mean, double a, problem. That's on our hands. wild. We have a person who's who's lacking education about normative sexual functioning, and then we have a patient who's saying, "Fuck, I'm so messed up that even the medications don't work on me." Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't even know how many times that I've had someone in my office talking about that exact experience. Like it's yep. a really repetitive experience. And it's not to say that like things like Viagra and stuff like that can't help, but that lack of education about the role of your mental, like sort of your mental state in how that drug performs or how it works, I feel is really something that a lot of people aren't tapped into because there just hasn't been dialogue about it to your point, Leo. Yeah. And I mean, I think another part of it is the amount of men who are so ashamed by their sexual dysfunction that they don't even talk to their partners. They go behind their partner's backs, they get these medications, it doesn't work with their partners, and then they're stuck in this like secretive shame hole with a partner. Then the partner is freaking out because they're saying like, what the heck is wrong? Do you not find me attractive? Am I doing something wrong? Is there something wrong with you? Right. It just turns into this messy thing. And in my head, I'm like, this could have been all resolved with a 35 minute. That's how fast I have it down <laughs> minute conversation in my office with an appropriate assessment. Amazing. That's amazing. Truthfully. I, I mean, genuinely, first of all, I had no idea I had a pelvic floor. Second of all, it just to hear you say that, you know, it like in 35 minutes, it, because it really is so much shame that it goes. And, you know, and. I, I, I'm not clearly, I am not a doctor in any way, shape or form, but you know, I do, I have a lot of friends with it, you know, I don't want to say it's to- toxic masculinity. I don't even know if that's the right term, but like, you know, there's thinking about like, they're, they're somehow less of a man if they admit the issue, which then I think is like, I mean, because I've talked to buddies and they're like, you know, I would, I would, I would label that as part of toxic masculinity. Okay. And 
but I genuinely like you know they become so shame ridden over it and and to know that you know people out there with penises if this is something that you're having an issue with I know it's frightening but please go and talk to someone like the rock star Dr. Leo or Dr. Tara because I'm telling you like just sitting here listening to this right now I'm like excited to be able to like go shout it on the mountaintops because it really <laughs> is something that is is hard, you know, having run into it as a, a person with a penis, you know, there's a lot of shame that comes along with it. So take the time and go and talk to someone like Dr. Leo, who's so, so knowledgeable about this. And I think right now we're going to take a quick break because when, when we come back, I want to dive into a little bit more anatomy things. I want to talk a little bit more about prostate because <laughs> I have one, but I don't really know what it officially does. And uh, I just know that it could give me welcome, cancer. Welcome to the largest part of the population. <laughs> like literally, like I know I've, I know I got it. And I know that there's things that my wife wants to use on it. And I also know that, you know, they can give you cancer. That that That's about the extent of my knowledge. So I can give you other things too. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be right back and we're going to get a whole bunch more mind bullets from Dr. Leo when we come back. And we're back. I'm really excited about this episode. You know, I was a little trepidatious going into it because, you know, I, 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 I get nervous, as the doc would say, around prostate play and things like that. And, uh, you know, but, I, I know I shouldn't be, Dr. Leo. I know I shouldn't be. But to, to but, be fair, Jeremiah, I truly think our bodies scare us sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that that's a very real experience where like, what does it all do? Do I want to find out? And, then, you know, also like, what if I like this? Right. Like, what does that mean? And what does that yeah. mean about me? And yada, yada, yada. So, hey, listen, fair. I've admitted that openly here, Doc. I've admitted that openly. Like, what would that mean if I liked prostate toys, you know, and and stuff like that? And and but I I am open. I really do want to learn. I do want to understand more. So I'm very excited, Dr. Leo. Give us some knowledge here for our prostate having friends because cisgender women don't have prostates. I'm correct on that. I know that sounds like a stupid question, no. but I, you know, we all know that I wasn't that fabulous. In no. So, yes. Uh, predominantly yeah. cisgender women do not have prostates. It was never developed as babies. Um, transgender women, on the other hand, or non-binary trans femme people may have a prostate, usually have a prostate. There are some instances, whether through surgery or um, extensive hormone therapy, that the prostate may be reduced. But as a general rule of thumb, cisgender women don't. Anyone born with a penis normatively would, would have a prostate, yes. And is this going to be a question in like trivial pursuit because i'm really excited <laughs> to pull this one out of my pocket <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't Thanks. think <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i feel like the people uh in trivial pursuit have very specific lanes around that the questions it's not prostate driven <laughs> okay okay i just wanted to be clear okay um, so can hmm. you give us some basic knowledge as to literally what it does 
So let me ask you first, Jeremiah, do you know where your prostate is? Uh, I have a, a general idea that <laughs> if I went, it, it, that it's like between my, being very honest, but like between my testicle, like somewhere between my testicle and my upper anus, like so if, it, if figures went into my anus that there, the prostate would be kind of in and down like a little bit. Is that, or, or in and up maybe? In, in, am, in, am I anywhere? In, I, I mean, is it down there? Let's just put it that way. <laughs> In your so so we it's talk not in your throat. Right? <laughs> if we if you think about the pelvic floor as this basket, yeah, the basket's full of fruits, right? Okay. Your your penis is the banana. Your well, your your testicles that technically hang outside of the basket. Um, your bladder might be like a nice luscious uh, like apple, and then your prostate is a tiny little um, walnut. It's usually it's about the size of a walnut. Okay. It's a gland. Okay. And it's located between your bladder and your penis. Okay. Okay. So if you go through rear entry, the wall of your anus shares a wall directly with the prostate. That's why you can access it through anal play. Got it. Okay. okay. And that's why you want, when you go to the doctor after a certain age and they, they do the digital exam, they're going to ask you to sit on your side and they'll stick their longest finger in, and then they'll go forward towards your penis. And that's gotcha. where the prostate is generally located. Um, you know, Dr. Dr. Leo, that reminds me. So this actually, this is a real story. This really happened. So I got very, very sick. I was doing a show outside of London. Right? I was doing a musical. And I was so, so sick. It was terrible, right? And I, I was, I, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I was in a man band, okay, a long time ago. Okay. And... You know, we sold a lot of records overseas, all this kind of stuff. And uh, but, you know, I, I signed autographs here and there like was recognized. But like the one time that I really was recognized. Right. I, w I got so sick and the doctor had to come to my dressing room. Right. And he was a sweet guy. And he comes in and he's like, we're going to have to check some stuff. And I was like, OK, you know, whatever you need. And he's like, lay on your side. And, you know, schnip, the glove goes on, you know, and he literally went in and he was testing feeling around in there and then he stopped with his fingers in there and he leaned over me and he was like are you jeremiah from teatro the band <laughs> and i was like what what did you say and he was like my wife and i love your music we love that band it's such a great band and i was like oh that's great I, We'll sign that edition. album for you. So that was the first time I ever had that done. And he recognized me because I was really famous at the time. And uh, there you have it. So if I can deal with that, I think anybody could deal with a procedure from their doctor. You, you know what I'm saying? You feel me? A lot. I, feel, I don't know why this doctor would check the prostate for a general physical ailment. I don't Only think it was a prostate... <laughs> Britain, all right. Okay, you know, <laughs> no, he was. It was more of like he was checking my because I, I had had like been very sick and, and like going to the bathroom a lot. Oh, okay, okay. There, so it, this was a, a okay. I thought you had yeah. like a cold or a fever or something, and he was like, "Oh, let me just check your prostate right now." <laughs> but <laughs> but to to uh, actually as a teachable moment things like enlarged prostates and stuff like that yeah. can push on the bladder, right? And create, yes. 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 Okay. 
yeah pain so, okay. so there there are let's let's kind of get more into like the medical things briefly that could happen with the prostate you can have an, a, a naturally enlarged prostate that doesn't necessarily mean that you have cancer or anything it's just some some men genetically as we age um our prostates grow um there can be something called prostatitis which is an inflammation due to an infection of the prostate i had that or even like an allergic reaction i had that i had that one the, the one you just said I had it because I took too much pseudoephedrine. Mm -hmm. That's what well, that's what my urologist told me because I was doing it. I was doing a concert and I really needed to be able to sing, and so I took like the twenty-four hour, like you know, two hundred and forty milligram tablet of pseudoephedrine, and then like I'm chugging water, chugging water, and I couldn't pee. I could all the, like literally, I physically couldn't like go to the bathroom, and then I freaked out and and did the concert. And then I went to the doctor, and he was like, "Yeah, you have prostatitis." You, he said, "You did a lot of cold medicine." I said, "Yeah, you know, got to sing." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you can't do that because uh, you know that could cause this problem, and this is the problem you now have." And I was like, "That's a thing? Yeah. Like, come on!" Yeah. Didn't even know where it was, as we all just heard five minutes ago, and yet all of a sudden I couldn't pee for like ten hours. It was brutal. So, so going back to the metaphor of the fruit basket, if your bladder is an apple and your uh, prostate is right underneath that apple, your urethra, which is where your pee comes out of, goes right through the middle of your prostate. Oh, there it is. So that's when it gets enlarged. It literally tightens up around the urethra. Got it. Yeah. Um, in general, as a general rule of thumb, you should know that the prostate is a gland. Um, meaning that it creates a substance in our bodies. Um, the gland actually produces about 30%, 30 to 40% of the liquid that comes out when you ejaculate. Okay. Yeah. So when you are having sex, the sperm travel up these little tubes. They join in the urethra with the tube that comes out of the prostate. And actually sometimes the anatomy is so that the tubes actually go into the prostate. And then that gets all mixed up, the little sperm and the, this liquid. Um, and actually, that's the liquid that makes our sperm white or look white. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's not the actual sperm that make it look white. <laughs> right. Thank right, right. you. Thank you for clarifying that, Dr. Leo. <laughs> I feel like that is a very common misconception. Look at that. That was a lot of sperm today. <laughs> yeah. um, so basically, the, the function of the, the gland. Oh, and then um, this is an interesting little added factoid. That liquid um, that comes out when you know you ejaculate or you come actually is very base, so it's meant to protect the sperm in the very acidic vaginal environment. Okay, it's like a protective, right. cozy blanket for your sperm. Um, I'm learning so much today, Doc. I don't even know. Like I, my mind is just a, a, a whirl right now. Like genuinely, I'm sitting here going. A warm blanket of sperm in the vaginal areas of it's acidic. Is acidic. Like, wow. it, a quick question like, though: Does it also? And this is this is really just my own curiosity here. As you're talking, does it protect it as it travels through the urethra as well from acidity that might be there or not at all? It's just really more about like it's allowing them to survive in the vagina. So that yeah, so it's more about the vagina. Like it has nothing to do really with like any potential like as it travels through the urethra. No, because the urethra. If you pee on a regular basis, it's pretty neutral. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I was curious about. Yeah. Wow. And 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 
All right. I knew about the vagina part, but I was curious about like if there was any additional acidity it needed to survive. No, I mean not that I know of. Um, more well, just I mean, nerd question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I mean the other thing to to, and this is more reproductive health, but you know, remember that depending on how much ejaculate a man makes, that can actually stay in the vagina hours or days after. So a person can theoretically get pregnant hours or day after the actual climax moment. Wow. Especially Did you hear that out there, fans? Did you hear that out there? Days. That? <laughs> days. Days. Like, I, this is, I feel like, why couldn't, like, sex ed be this interest? I mean, sex ed for me in school was, it was like, all the girls went down to the gym at one point and watched a video about getting their periods, which, of course, all the guys wanted to go down and, well, little boys wanted to go down and find out why they were all down there. And then, of course, it was like a big hush-hush thing, like we, we weren't supposed to know. And then, you know, for boys, it was like, don't stick it in a girl or she will become pregnant. Like the end. Nice shame-based sex ed. Yeah. yeah. From Echo. Jeez. Um, so, so I think, I mean, I think the one way that most people ever hear or consider the prostate is when we talk about prostate cancer, right? Right. Um, and prostate cancer is a specific type of cancer that's predominantly found in people with prostates only. Um, not predominantly, only found in people with prostates <laughs> only. Um, it basically is like any other cancer. So you have maladaptive cells that are misforming inside the prostate or on the outsides of the prostate. And caught early, it is a very high success cancer. Um, so, I mean, I, th I think it's like in the upper 90s. Yep. Uh, if you address it with enough time, either you do the chemo, radiation, or you do the surgery, your life expectancy is as normal. There you go. Now, I have heard, I know some people who have had prostate cancer and that if they once they had the surgery that they did have physical uh, ED problems. Yes. And so that is a thing. That is a very real thing. Okay. So um, in the in my work environment, we now have a multidisciplinary prostate cancer team, which is comprised of your urology team, myself as sexual psychology, because I, I deal with the behaviors around all of this. And then we have a pelvic floor person that all work together to make sure that this person after surgery rehabilitates themselves to the best that they want to. This, that's incredible. I'm sorry. That's incredible. Because I mean, I've heard these poor men that I know who've had this have really struggled. And, and uh, when we've talked about it very openly, and I give them credit for that, you know, talking amongst ourselves, uh, never mentioned anything like that. They were just like the the, the doctor was like, yeah, yeah, sucks. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, to, to know that there are, are folks out there like you. So those of you out there who may have run into this and have had prostate cancer, please know, you know, someone like Dr. Leo, they have a whole team, rehabilitation team. That's an amazing thing. Yeah, like looking for interdisciplinary programs, I think is a really, I mean, it's a really big push in medicine in general. Yeah. And um, I think some places have adopted that a lot more, but, the, and, I, and it really does speak to this idea of like mind, body connection, right? And the importance of that in health. And when you look at research, there's a lot of big pushes in health to make things much more interdisciplinary because they have, it has better efficacy. Right. So I don't know if you want to say more about that, Leo, but. Well, yeah, I mean, that was that was part of the, the issue when I when I started at my job almost three years ago now in December. Part of the issue was that 
you know, the urologist doesn't have the time, nor the, the physician's assistant, and no one has the time under that medical model to sit with someone and explain to them, sorry, and explain to them, this is anatomy. I mean, I talk to my, my guys all the time about everything that we've talked to today because no one has sat down to explain to them, this is the thing that they took out of you. Right. This is why you're having these side effects, right? And and I and I partially get it, right? When people hear cancer, they freak out. Of course. And understandably. <clears throat> and in the moment, you might not be hearing, oh, there's a 90 plus chance of normal longevity, right? You're in the, oh my God, I have cancer, I need to take it out. So all of these finite details that the doctor or the PA or the nurse might just say in passing, they're not absorbing that. So my role, at least at my hospital, is to sit with the patient after they have the surgery and then say, where are you at with this? Where's your urine, <clears throat> your urine and your control? Have you felt any sexual functioning? What was your sexual functioning prior to prostate cancer? Right? That's a very important question. If you had you know, organic ED for the last five years, you're a chronic smoker, you've had two heart attacks and diabetes, the probability of regaining some sexual functioning post-prostate cancer surgery, very slim. Now, if you had normal sexual functioning prior to surgery, we can work with that. Where a lot of people freak out, and mind you, just to give the listeners an idea, <clears throat> for a radical prostatectomy, they literally take that walnut size organ, they remove it, and then they reconnect the urethra into the bladder. Okay. So you're, you're essentially rebuilding that entire urinary system. So there's a lot of surgery trauma that goes there to begin. Wow. And the first steps, we always argue, are to regain urinary control. After you have prostate cancer and a prostatectomy, you will, you will definitely have urinary incontinence, which can be addressed through pelvic floor PT. Right. Which also, I've had a number of clients with urinary incontinence issues, drastically impact sexual functioning from like a sense of sexual self-worth, from like a sense of kind of like sexual competency, embarrassment, shame, like that can that can massively impact. Um, people have incontinence issues for all sorts of medical issues, you know, this kind of issue being just one of them. But that is also something that can impact someone psychologically around their sexual functioning and sexual enjoyment, just to say that out loud as well. And and one of the reasons that I bring it up, so I talk to my clients about penile pump therapy. If you don't have some level of urinary control before you start penile pump therapy as part of your rehab process, the pump will bring out urine. And for most people, urinating and sexuality don't mix, right? There are those that do, for that it does, but for most people it doesn't. So if you don't have some level of control over urination and you're doing penile pump therapy, that might imply additional liquids coming out that you don't want during that process. Hey, Leo, can you just super quick explain penile pump therapy, what that means just yeah. for the listeners? So penile pump therapy is literally a vacuum pump that can be either handheld or electronic that you put uh, the flaccid penis inside and it creates a vacuum which brings blood into the penis. Um, now, if it's just for therapeutic reasons, the penile pump therapy does not have to be used with a ring. It can just be used with a pump alone. Um, and the purpose of that is to bring fresh oxygen into the penile tissue so that it doesn't atrophy post-surgery. Because if it's not appropriately stretched and uh, oxygenated, the penis can become atrophied to the point of total dysfunction later on. Okay. And it can also have shrinkage 
which a lot of men don't want. There you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, yep. thanks. I appreciate. If it. I may, let's talk about it getting up prostates nice and healthy, like strong. How do I work that bad boy out? Like I'm going to the gym. And I'm gonna. How do I get that guy like just mm, tight? I don't, yeah, I don't know if you want a tight prostate or not. <laughs> Because then that would create greater pressure around your your, your urethra. Um, can, I, can I pause you, Leo? I love I love you so much because you just did to Jeremiah what I do all the time, which is like ask, a, take a question and be like, well, let me answer this very literally and scientifically. And then Jeremiah's <laughs> like, oh, I just made a joke. He's too polite to do it to you right now. But <laughs> um, am I wrong, I, Jeremiah? <laughs> no, uh, you, you know, I, I was it was joking, but I do want to make it. There was it was a little jest and then a little bit of seriousness at the same time, Doc. So it was a little bit, a little bit of both. So, so as a general rule of thumb, a healthy prostate will be aligned with a healthy body. So, you know, working out, exercising, good water intake is important. A dehydrated prostate is a prostate that can't produce the, the liquid that is needed for ejaculate. Okay. So that I, some men that are like, for example, men that may have um, you know, substance abuse issues, particularly alcohol that dehydrate, dehydrates them. They might have a very dry and goopy. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Um, which may be because the prostate doesn't have enough water in it to be uh, producing enough um, liquid. Uh, the other things that we advise against are irritants, anything that will, will cause your body an inflammatory process. So unfortunately, things like coffee, energy drinks, um, alcohol, all of those will, will potentially cause inflammation, which can inflammate uh, prostate. Remember, the prostate's a gland. So in comparison to other tissues in our body, it's, it's t- technically very sensitive to chemicals. Um, and yeah, just generally a, a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> Some argue that consistent and frequent ejaculation can lead to a healthy prostate. You know, there is some research to validate that. I've looked at some of that research, and it does seem like people kind of go back and forth on the legitimacy of that. I always explain. Well, I would like I would like a definitive answer, please, because (laughs) if this is true, I am extremely healthy. Uh, My prostate is strong like a bull. You know what I'm saying? Good. Good for you. (laughs) Just want to be clear. So, I mean. Part of the reason why the research is so ambivalent is because you can take 10 different guys the exact same age, measure their prostate health, and that would be, I guess, with a PSA test, which is a chemical that the prostate produces. But all of the factors that they are engaging in will contribute to their prostate health in addition to the frequent uh, ejaculation, right? And And then how do we measure frequent ejaculation? Is that once a day? Is that once a week? Is that twice a week. So it's just very hard to put a, a number when we talk about frequent uh, that would give people, you know, this is the finite. Yes. Uh, and then there's also people who might be predisposed to prostate issues, right? There might be people who just have chronic inflammatory diseases, which might affect the prostate. There might be people who have a chronic lifelong history of prostate cancer in their families, whom it might be inevitable that they're going to get prostate cancer. Um, we just, and then there's people who live their best lives doing everything that we don't re- recommend and never have an issue, 
with prostate health or sexual dysfunction. I hate those people. I really do. Because, it's you know, it's not just that either. It's also like, you know, they don't put on weight when they eat pizza. And the, you know what I mean? Like, those people really frustrate me. <laughs> like, I, I get so frustrated. Like, you know, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, sure. But, you know, like... I mean, I, I pseudoephedrine one time, Doctor Leo, like one time, like, and I, my prostate swelled up like a balloon, you know. And I was only thirty four. Like, what? My, what's the deal? It sounds like you you consumed a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot. Okay, that's not the point. But, you know. <laughs> may I? May, may I? Because I know we're almost out of time here. Can Leo? Could you talk just a little bit since we're talking about the prostate, and this is the University of Pleasure, after all? Right. A little bit about uh, prostate pleasure, maybe a little bit about maybe why it's pleasurable, and right. helping people understand like why does that feel good? <laughs> so, so we got to remember the prostate is in the intersections of all of the nerve endings that go it, through the pelvic floor into the penis, right? So it's a, it's like the cross-section of a bunch of highways that are meant to be pleasurable. On top of that, since the prostate lines the colon, the colon also has a lot of nerve endings that can be very pleasurable to stimulate. That's why rear entry, for a lot of people who like rear entry during sex, can be very pleasurable. And if you have a prostate, you're essentially stimulating both that colon tissue, right, which is already rich in nerve endings, and on top of that, you're pushing on the prostate. Mind you, a lot of the reasons why people talk about a prostate orgasm is because when it's touched in the right place, you can actually have pre-ejaculate come out as coming, which can be very pleasurable for some people. Okay. So it's really about its location, which is highly dense in nerve endings. All right. And Thank some, you, Leo. Yeah. And some are that, that prostate play can be one of those other things that stimulates appropriate and constant um, production of, of fluids, which then would keep the prostate more healthy. And is that is that what we call milking the prostate? Yeah. I saw that in the movie, too. Yeah. But I didn't really know what it meant. I figured it was yeah. just... And if you look a lot of the, uh, uh, if you look at a lot of the products that are meant to stimulate the prostate, a lot of them will have a very repetitive shape, which is like thin at the bottom and then like a little boop that is meant to be placed towards the front of the body, not the back of the body, towards the front of the body, so it's putting more pressure on that prostate. Amazing. Okay. And again, my wife will not be listening to this episode, but I appreciate all don't the knowledge. I, what, about, what about some light perineum play to start exploring the, the sensitivity of your prostate? Because you can technically access, you know, you can put pressure on your prostate through your perineum, which is not penetrative. What is, what is, what is the perineum? The taint. The taint. Come on, you got to use yes. the right words. I got like Jeremiah. <laughs> you did, this is, so, Jer, you don't know this, Dr. Leo, but Jeremiah and I do a a segment called was Jeremiah listening and today <laughs> Jeremiah you and I did a whole episode <laughs> on the perineum <laughs> and being able to stimulate the process of prostate through that <laughs> so the answer to that that would have been a like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
I'm going to revisit that question on our next segment of Was Jeremiah Listening? Okay, just hang to on. See in, in, maybe... my, in my defense, okay, all right, the way that my brain works is that, you know, taint is also perineum. So he said taint. I was with him. I was there. I was with him. But, you know, he said perineum. And that, you know, but my brain was like, I already know what that means. It means taint is it's taint. Anyway. Now I understand. Thank you for the reminder. I was listening in that episode. I don't want to get into this right now. We're having such a nice conversation, okay? <laughs> so the point is... Leo, Leo, this reminds me of, I don't know if Leo, you've uh, noticed this ever, because Leo, you've done some couples work, right? Yeah. Like, you know that uh, phenomenon in couples work where you as the therapist can say a thing that the partner has been saying over and over and you say it and somebody's like, oh my gosh, I've never like thought it. of that. And then their partner's like, are you serious right now? I have said that to you like a hundred <laughs> times. And I feel like there's a little of that dynamic going yeah, on. Clearly, clearly. I am. I Just, Listen, I was knee deep in this today. I was listening attentively. You saw by the shocked look on my face were the things that, that, that Dr. Leo was saying, because I was like gobsmacked a couple of times with some of this information. But I, I would like before we say goodbye to Dr. Leo, because we are running out of time and we don't want to have him to be here all night long because I could ask a million questions because I have it now. I have a million questions that I want to ask. But uh, is there. Are, are, are there places that men who are struggling with uh, these issues can find help even outside of the spectrum of obviously the, the, the rock star giant hospital you work on? Like, uh, can they look up like, you know, pelvic, you know, rehabilitation centers? Uh, you know, are there, yeah. you know, where can they get the knowledge? Because I literally genuinely, like I said earlier, I want to go shout on the mountaintops for people like this is like I want to go to a, a, a pelvic person and talk about my floor thing. What was it called again? Pelvic floor therapy. Pelvic floor therapy. <laughs> you know, like because, you know, I do hold a lot of tension in my behind. And that made me then think like, you know, could that cause a problem? You know, down the line. Right. So I, this is fascinating to me. So could you give us a little bit of knowledge in that way? Places that people might, are there places they can reach out if they went to some someone who focused on uh, people that had vaginas, that they could go to that place and they could help with the men? So most urology clinics will have knowledge of their pelvic floor PT. Amazing. Um, I would also encourage folks in their cities or locations to just Google if there is a um, sexual health clinic somewhere. Uh, in my experience, and Tara, maybe you have a different experience, but most sexual health clinics will have knowledge of someone who can help with pelvic floor issues or at least dysfunction. Um, at least the, the three major ones here in the Twin Cities do. Well, and I also think that like, so we've talked about this in some previous episodes. Uh, we actually talked about it when I was talking about um, sexual pain, more uh, vulva based and vaginally based. But this idea that like, you know, a lot of times people will just go see like uh, an OBGYN for that or like a, just a urologist that's maybe like they don't really go and talk if they're having a sexual functioning issue, they don't right. specifically look for a sexual health specialist. Right. And I think that there is a difference. And again, not all cities or places have access to that. But if you do, like in my experience, those individuals are often just more trained in that intersection of like physical health than these issues in as well as like how that impacts sexual functioning, right? Mm -hmm. They're just looking at it through a different lens. I don't know if that answered your question, Leo, but... 
Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I just, I'm thinking as broadly as I could, right? If, if we were talking specifically about Minnesota, I have a lot, I would have a lot to say, but um, broadly nationally, I would, I would first start off with your best bet, which is, you know, either urology or gynecology. Um, some family medicine docs are really, really good at listening to their patients and they might know where to start. Um, ASECT, uh, where Tara is certified through, they have a national, um, what is it, registry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that you can look up a sex therapist and then hopefully that person will have resources. And there's actually one, a book that I really recommend. It's literally just called The Penis Book. Um, it's very straightforward. I <laughs> easy to remember. I like it. Whoever, what is, who's the author of that, Leo? Arthur, uh, Aaron Spitz. Okay. He's a physician. Um, as a, as a queer person, it's a little hard for me to read some of the bro -y language around it, but for most straight men, that would be great, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, and, but it has really good knowledge on it. And it, each chapter kind of breaks it down into like anatomy. It talks about the prostate. It talks about penis. It talks about health aspects, which to look for. Um, that might be a place to start for a lot of a lot of folks. Well, mm -hmm. thank you so much. Genuinely, thank you for taking the time and coming on to the University of Pleasure, talking about penis, talking about, you know, so many things that genuinely, yeah, that was why, like, way back in the very beginning of the episode, I was like, let's start with the basics. Because then, you know, <laughs> later, of course, I knew there was going to be a question that's going to be asked to me, like, where's the who's he, what's it? And of course, I was like, well, I don't know. Like, you know, so I'm just very grateful that you took the time, you broke it down for our listeners out there, and uh, just, just very grateful for the knowledge. So thank you so much, Dr. Leo, for coming on and... Uh, Hopefully, we'll have you come on again, and I'll give you a heads up on how my prostate's doing and <laughs> whether or not I took pseudephedrine and, uh, you know. So thank you. Thank you very much, truthfully, for everything that you do. I really do appreciate you being here. And thank you, obviously, to Dr. Tara, who helps also explain so much of this. Um, you guys are rock stars, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, I, I learn something new every day. Every once in a while, I forget things. Yes, Doc. Okay, I'm forgetting every <laughs> once in a while. So. And, I, and, then I, and then I don't let you forget. Okay. Leo, thank you so much for coming on. I'm always, whenever I hear you speak, I'm like, Leo's so smart. No, so much. <laughs> so knowledgeable. One of my favorite people. We absolutely appreciate you coming on. And totally truthfully, I really do just in my own experience, I feel like this is a lot of information that people often don't have, you know, and I also just think that your experience in, um, you know, in being able to do that integrated care, like is such a, also like this, this space of like this integration of medicine and mental health in a way that I think is really, um, in certain ways still kind of unique. Absolutely. Um, and and so I think that that's just such a, an amazing resource for people. And just thank you for coming on. We appreciate it so much. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, feel free to invite me for any other topic that you might think I might have something to say about. Excellent, because I want to talk about my vasectomy next. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Jeremiah has a story. <laughs> there, there are a lot of people who have a lot of misconceptions about what a vasectomy can and can't do in terms of outcomes yes so yeah we, we can talk about that a little more oh i can't wait because you know what that's gonna be a really good time because i know a lot of people with penises that are 
very frightened of them. And I don't think there's a lot to be frightened of, but my story is very unique. But the more you get to know me, Dr. Leo, you'll know that most of my stories, that's just like a Wednesday. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it is what it is. So and you, you learn to be proud of it. That's which is exactly nice. it. I embrace the chaos. So right. thank you so much, Dr. Leo. You are such a joy, truly. Um, is there anything else you would like to tell our millions of listeners before we say goodbye? No, I mean, the only thing that I that I always tell people is remember, good sex only happens when you're relaxed and feeling safe. So if you're not relaxed or feeling safe, don't expect good sex to happen. There you go. Words of wisdom. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Doc. And uh, to all of our listeners out there, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Take care. Bye, Dr. Leo. Bye. Bye, Dr. Terrajan. I didn't even get to finish your name. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're so excited to move on. Gosh. Bye, Doc. Bye. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Feldstein. Additional multimedia support by associate producer Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to all of our social media. <laughs>